This message comes from NPR sponsor, The Pitchfork Review. It's the podcast for the music obsessed, the music curious, and everyone in between. Listen to The Pitchfork Review and hear music differently. Find new episodes every Friday at midnight. This week on Ask Me Another, we've got TV's favorite muscle man, Terry Crews from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And he chats about his multiple talents and how he stays humble in Hollywood. It's dropping in your feeds Friday, January 18th on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. It's All Songs Considered from NPR Music. I'm Robin Hilton, and on this edition of the program, we've got a conversation with Sharon Van Etten. A lot has changed in Sharon Van Etten's life since she put out her last album, Are We There, in 2014. Over the past five years, she's gotten into acting. She went back to school to get a degree in mental health counseling. Uh, She's worked on some film scores. And the biggest change, she is a mom now. But through it all, she eventually found herself coming back to her first love, music. Sharon Van Etten has a new album out now called Remind Me Tomorrow. I think it's the best thing she's ever done. And it's also unlike anything she's ever done before. She's largely been seen as an acoustic singer-songwriter up to now. Uh, But her new album is full of all these pulsing synths and big beats and lots of strange dark textures made with the help of producer John Congleton. Uh, So for this conversation, Sharon was in our New York bureau. I was in D.C. And together we listened to her whole new album, Front to Back. She reflected on motherhood, how she arrived at this point in her career. And she shared some of the stories about these new songs, starting with this deceptively quiet opening track called I Told You Everything. Sitting at the bar, I told you everything. said holy shit you almost died you know Sharon for his crazy as this record gets, uh, you really don't telegraph that at all in this opening cut. You don't really show your hand at all. Well, I didn't want to completely freak out my audience. I wanted to ease them into the chaos, but I I wanted to remind them that I'm the same person, but that there is about to be a shift. Yeah. When we talked about sequencing, I I didn't want to go full force into it. I wanted my fans to hear the space and to hear my voice and to hear the story before everything got massive. Funny enough, too, is that this is the one song I wrote at the very end. It was after I had written all the other songs, and it more encompasses the story about everything that I've been through and falling in love after all the other things happened. It kind of sums up my relationship for this one. And this I wrote having a bit more perspective. 
there are a lot of yous on this album and and on this song, and I'm I'm always curious whenever I hear that who you're who you're addressing here. Well, there are for this song. This one is about me talking to my partner, but also talking to myself because acknowledging that you opened up to someone is a big thing. But then acknowledging that you're just wide open and that you're connecting is a big thing too. Yeah. It requires you to make yourself more vulnerable than you've ever been before. I think as I grow up and grow up, hopefully never completely, I think that it's just being able to be more open and being more vulnerable as you get older, you know? I think that's the part of growing up. I think for a lot of people as they get older that maybe becomes easier. But there are, you know, there are people who go the other way and it's, they never let that wall down and let anybody else in because of how scary that is. I understand that, you know, but I feel like as soon as I open up and let people in and let people know me that the more, the more connections and real life experiences I have. Yeah. It's like if you, you got to put yourself out there if anything, for anything to happen. And you've been really putting yourself out there uh, a lot. Yeah, it's been pretty pretty busy <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how we're doing it but we're on autopilot you know <laughs> Track number two here, this song's called No One's Easy to Love. And man, when I first heard this and this kicked in, I was like, yes. <laughs> fun to sing on top of this. No doubt. You lay all the music down first and then sing over it. When I started writing this one, this actually started off being more of like a Leonard Cohen kind of guitar song. And as I was figuring out the sonic palette of how I wanted this record to unfold, I had a show at the Moroccan Lounge in Los Angeles where I did a very stripped down set of these songs with a synth, a piano, and a guitar, and a drum machine. And I did this with an acoustic guitar and a drum machine and, it's, and a drone, and it sounded like Bowie for a second. And I sent that version to Congleton as I was... I'm sorry, John Congleton, the sorry, producer. Yeah. Sorry, yes, John Congleton. I sent him the, the live version of the demo with the drum machine and the acoustic guitar, and then that's when he got pretty excited about the song. And John had picked out all the musicians, and I walked in and got to perform this live for the first time for the record, and it was really fun. <laughs> no 
So the song, No One's Easy to Love, as I was listening to it, it made me think, you know, my wife and I, our song is Young Folks by Peter, Bjorn, and John. Do you know that one? Uh, it's it's a song that's all, like, because when we first got together and started following for each other, we had a lot of baggage. And that song is all about loving each other despite your pasts. And on No One's Easy to Love, it kind of felt to me like, I don't know, like you were allowing yourself to be human or, you know, feel it kind of feels like you're forgiving yourself. Forgiving myself, forgiving others, acknowledging that, you know, when you love someone, when you fall in love, you really fall in love. And I don't deny, I don't deny those feelings past and present, you know, but sometimes you have to move on and it doesn't mean the love wasn't real. Yeah. You know, and I feel like those are hard things to come to terms with, but also I think moving on is so important. Was this a was this sort of a revelation for you at this point in your life? I think there's a part of me that knew that, but I think again as you get older just you don't want to hold any grudges, you don't want to feel negativity, you don't want to carry that with you for the rest of your life and it helps when you're in a better place to have the kind of reflection and to be able to live in the present and my past records, I wrote a lot about my past loves and, and the pain that I was in and overcoming it, which I think was important for me at the time, but this was also this is also important. This third song is called Memorial Day. This one's kind of a, a doubled-edged idea, because when I first started writing it, it was before I was pregnant, and it was just experimenting with the keyboard. And then when I was pregnant, I was working a lot on lyrics because I, you know, I was nesting a lot more. I was home. I was giving myself time to prepare for this life change that no one can prepare you for. And there's that kind of tired where you're like hallucinating, you know, where. Oh, yeah. So I was hallucinating, and I swear there were a couple times while trying to write lyrics that I just saw a projection on the wall of my kid in the future just running. And I just had this crazy realization that he was gonna run one day and I just started crying. I know, right? <laughs> and I wrote and I wrote the rest of the lyrics with that in mind. such a strange dark song and there's a lot of darkness on this record and I kept wondering why you were drawn to toward the darkness at a time when there's so much light in your life well yes yeah, there is a lot of wonderful things happening in my life and and sometimes I feel guilty telling people where I'm at because I know that I 
that I'm just having this kind of a spell and I don't want to jinx it by talking about it too much sometimes. But I also have to acknowledge that there is this other side of happiness where you feel guilty living in a world that is actually really dark in other places and we do live in this bubble. But also I started questioning all the responsibilities that I would have in this context and you mean bringing I, a child up in the in this world? Bringing a child up in this world in, in the state that we're in, but, you know, I wanted to acknowledge the darkness around us while still being in this positive bubble. But I talked to a, a family across the street from us who they have twins, they're girls that are, I think, preteens. And they, you know, we live in a pretty progressive neighborhood in Brooklyn and, and the protests going on at the schools and the parents are very involved and... You know, and they talk about the news openly at home. And one day, one of the girls came in and said, Mom, am I, are we going to die? Are we going to go to war? And the mother and I were talking, and she just said, I realized that it was my responsibility to make them feel safe. Yeah. And that we had to be more careful about what we watch at home and what we talk about and what we allow them to be a part of. We should be more sensitive to that. My kids are a little older by a, a couple few years uh, than your son, and I, we get those questions all the time. I'm sure. Uh, and all we can say is, no, you don't have anything to worry about. Everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know there's that voice in the back of your head that's thinking, maybe it's not going to be okay. I know. But, but I you, mean, you have to be there. you you got to show up. Yeah, it's like you don't want to be, you know, I don't want to catch, I don't want my son to catch me crying all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you get to track four in this record, you get to come back, kid. Uh, this was the first single, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by this point in the record, you are all in. <laughs> the, the the metamorphosis is is complete. <laughs> talked in the past about being bored with your old sound a little bit you know you're like you wanted to get away from the singer with an acoustic guitar and and I listened to a cut like this and is this like a is this a language that you feel like you've always spoken or did you have to sort of learn it along the way on one hand all songs start from somewhere you know and I write in a very similar way when I'm feeling something and this song actually started on the piano it was a piano ballad and I remember my friend Sam Cohen heard this song 
And he was like, this is not a piano ballad. Like, this is like crazy post-punk kind of like electronic jam. And then that's what made us change the direction of the piano ballad. But also, it's not completely out of my realm because I feel like part of the message of this record is that a lot of fans don't know the weird section of my vinyl that I have. I like a lot of weird post-punk, no-wave, new-wave, minimal-wave, <laughs> like right. electronic stuff. So this is a nod to my other tastes. It's not all Joan Baez records. So. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. You mentioned John Congleton before. Maybe this is a good time to talk about uh, what it was like working with him. How do people hear his sonic fingerprints on this project? I think only from having the experience making my last record, Are We There, I knew how limited my language and ability was in the production process because, especially since I knew I didn't want guitar to be the center of the record because I wanted to challenge myself. I felt like I was writing the same song over and over again. I could speak to someone where I could mention my left of center influences and he knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. Really, really, fun to experience. This is track five, cut number five. It's called Jupiter Four. Say, be 
So, yeah, the demo version was called Jupiter, and the time that I started writing it, it was when I was opening up to doing more co-writing and being okay with writing something that I knew wasn't for me. And I had finished recording this song, and I thought, you know, this is more of like a pop song, like a cool, like a blues singer really needs to sing this. And my publisher, Big Deal, partnered me with Donna Missile, uh, a Jersey girl that has an incredible set of pipes and attitude. And we had a writing session together, and we had a little leftover time at the end of the day, and I played her this song, and she loved it. And she ended up making her own version of it for her record that just came out, her debut record. And and she added a bridge, and she did this awesome pop version of it that I know that I'm not capable of doing. Yeah. And I got to see her perform it live, and it was amazing. But I still wanted to make my weird, dark, left-to-center version <laughs> in the end. And so her version is called Jupiter, and mine is called Jupiter 4. Speaking to the darkness again in this song, um, on the song, you, you sing about your love being real over and over again. And um, I imagine you're, you're talking about your partner, Zeke Hutchins, and I, and I believe you. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, it kind of begs the question, like, well, why not more of a celebration? Well, it's still scary, you know. I mean, you start thinking of beyond the immediacy of the falling in love part and the having a family part. You think about the future and and what that means and, and the anxiety and the fear that brings to watching each other get old. As much as that's beautiful, like, it's things we openly talk about, you know, like, I don't want to think about that yet, you know, as my grays are starting to appear and the wrinkles are getting longer and deeper and stamina's <laughs> oh man you know but, yeah. but it doesn't come it doesn't come without both sides it it is precisely what gives our lives urgency and what's what makes falling in love so special and you know the time that you have here what are you going to do with the time you have here yeah, life is too short, you know. Yeah. Live in the live in the now and try to appreciate every moment even when it's scary. Let's take a short break and we'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hinge. Hinge is the dating app that's designed to be deleted. It's for people who want to get off dating apps. Show off your personality with icebreaker prompts and see who likes you so you can easily start a conversation. On Hinge, three out of four first dates lead to second dates. And they're the number one dating app mentioned in the New York Times wedding section. Download Hinge in the Apple Store or Google Play. Support also comes from Tito's Handmade Vodka, America's original craft vodka. Tito's is distilled from corn and naturally gluten-free, spreading the love one drop at a time. For recipes, videos, and more, visit them at titosvodka.com. Crafted to be savored responsibly. 80-proof Tito's Handmade Vodka, 5th Generation Inc., distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas. Okay, this is cut number six. It's called 17.
almost feels like a Bruce Springsteen song or something to me when I when I hear. But <laughs> thank you. Yeah, well, like, that's a compliment. <laughs> that's a very high compliment. <laughs> but it, it it felt to me like on this one you're trying to make sense of how you got where you are. You know, I I started writing this one when I I walked by a place in Brooklyn that had closed and had turned into something else in a neighborhood I can no longer afford. And I had a flashback to when I first moved to New York 15 years ago when a friend of mine was giving me a tour of Brooklyn when I first moved here. And he walked by a place and kind of cursed under his breath that it had closed. And he closed his eyes and repeated a mantra. Throughout time, civilizations rise and fall. <laughs> And I didn't mean anything. Is that anything. the whole mantra? <laughs> that was what it, that's that was his mantra for I think the, the 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 changes in the neighborhood that he's he had seen. Yeah. You know, just like that's okay. But yeah. at the time, I had no idea what it meant. I had never lived anywhere long enough to see a change. You know, I, yeah. I think where I grew up, the only thing that had changed was a Walmart got put in. But yeah, I didn't even know what that meant at the time. And. So now having lived somewhere for 15 years to see the kinds of changing he was alluding to, I had to laugh at myself <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Do you know The Sheltering Sky, that, that book? Uh, yeah. There, there's a great, um, this isn't a ex- precise quote, but where he, he talks about the fact that uh, because we don't know when we're going to die, uh, life seems limitless to us. But the truth is everything is very finite and, and lasts for a very short period of time. Yeah, again, with the living in the now and to try to focus on every little moment. It's not about the big ones, it's about the little ones. For sure. How do you think you got where you are, you know? I mean, it's obvious to say, well, it's about life choices and... Well, first I will say I think being myself and finding the people that encourage that in me, because if I hadn't found that circle, I don't know if I would have continued doing music. Um, you've now since gotten into acting and scoring film and you've gone back to school and you're a, you're a mom. Was there ever a moment during all these changes of the last few years where you thought, well, maybe I won't do music professionally anymore? Well, in, in 2015, that was when I had the conversation with my band that I was going to take a break. I didn't know what that meant and I left it open-ended. And I wanted to challenge myself in other ways to be creative. And I also wanted to enjoy living in New York. I had worked so hard to have a career that I was hardly home. So I didn't want to keep writing songs about partners that couldn't handle me being gone all the time. I mean, I'm, I, I thought maybe that music can just be something for me. I, w- I would have been fine with that. But somehow in between all those other jobs, I, I still found it in me. I, f- I had the drive in me still. As we pass the truck Just a couple of dudes Who don't give a fuck This next song is called Malibu It's got seven on the record Slow down Just a couple of jokers On the edge of town In Malibu Wondering where the memory in this this one comes from. 
Yeah, this was actually during a, a short stint in LA. The first time I had more than a day or two on the road, I had a week where I had some writing sessions for the first time. And I wrote a song on a piano in an Airbnb <laughs> in Echo Park somewhere. And it was after my partner took me to Malibu for the first time in our in our rental car. And you know those moments where it's like not necessarily when you're talking, it's just when you're both really at peace with each other. And so I started writing it in LA and reflecting on like the really beautiful moment. And then I returned to New York and had a couple months of reflection before I went back to work on the song. And I walked in the apartment and, and he was blasting the Black Crows and scrubbing his bathroom floor in his pajamas. and. <laughs> I just stood there smiling, probably for two minutes before he realized I was standing there and I was just smiling so big because I was even more in love with him. Those oh. little moments, you know? Oh, I know. People are great. People are wonderful. People are wonderful. <laughs> they really are. I, I sometimes wonder, but they really are. There's all this incredible guitar noise at the end of this one. Was that uh, was this an example of like John saying, you know what, you really ought to go noisy at the end here, or is that something you knew you wanted to do going into it? That was the other musicians just playing it through and him letting them. Yeah. You know, everyone kind of fell out at different times, and I think we only ran it a, a few times that way, but it happened pretty naturally. It's interesting to hear you talk about sort of letting the other musicians off leash a little bit and it it makes me think how that's sort of a recurring theme through this whole record about opening up, right? And what happens when you open up and let other people in because some real magic can happen when you turn this you take this thing that's so precious to you and you allow it and you open it up and give it to somebody else and they say, well, here's what I hear, here's what I would do, this is the direction it pushes me in. Well, I feel like a big part of letting go is like acknowledging that my strength is writing the song. And, and every time there is a choice that one of the musicians or Congleton made, and usually that was a collaboration between them, I would say to myself, well, that's not something that I would do and then I would reprimand myself and say, well, that's not why I'm here, is it? You know, like yeah. I'm here because of the things like, I know what I would do. Right. I know what I would do and I would make the same record I did before if I'm, if I'm calling the shots. Right. And, and every time I, I talk myself, you know, not like it was a big talking myself down like I was freaking out or anything, right. but you know, it took a minute for me to to not say those things internally. <laughs> yeah. This next song here is called You Shadow. It's cut number eight on the record. Listen until you know what to say. Use loving words and be gentle and kind. Open your mind and it's easy to find where I am. 
got some great guitar in it. It reminds me a lot of something like St. Vincent would do. Yeah, I believe that was Luke Reynolds on there. The, he's a multi-guy, but I think the, the for very little guitar, being on a record, like what it is actually in there, it stands out. You yeah. know? You're like, yeah. oh, okay, so that, that is happening. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he was running around to two different stations, asking my opinion back and forth, and, you know, he just, he intuitively knew what to do there. I assume you're addressing your own shadow on this one, and, it, and it, if you are, it seems like you're kind of making a statement about taking responsibility for the things that you, you say and do in your life. You know, again, I feel like it's the, you know, multi-selves, you know, because it's, you're following yourself, you're following your shadow, you're acknowledging your past, you're, you know, depending on where you turn, what, what shadow are you looking at, if there is one. This is the next to the last track on the record. It's called Hands. Before we get more into uh, what this song is about, I've got to know what that little fluttering, growling sound is underneath this one. (laughs) Do you, do you remember how you did that one? Well, this is Jamie Stewart going to town on his modular synths, and he's a mad scientist. Even when I would ask Jamie what certain things were, he would tell me and try to tell me what it did, but he was like, you you hold it in this position, it does this thing. You hold it in this position, it sounds like a completely different instrument. Yeah. He'd be banging magnets on cymbals. He'd be drawing a pen on a wire. I mean... Some things weren't even pedals, they were live wires or something, you know. It was wow. it was really, really fun to watch. I'm wondering what you think of artists who blow up their sound. You know, like, when I first heard this album, I thought, yes, this is, I'm so glad you made this move. It's the right move, and you've totally earned the right to make this move. And it made me think, like, how many records in do you need to, you know, beloved records do you have to have out before people are ready to give you the the space to do what you want to do. Well, it's just hard because I feel like there's always going to be the fan that's turned off by the shift in Sonics. And I think 
as an artist, you just have to be in a place where it's something that you know that you want. You know, if that's what I think, you should make the record you want to make because, again, life is too short, and the state of the industry is always in question. And you know, I don't want to have my doubts. You know, I made every every record I made, I wanted to make. They were my choices, from musicians to producers to studios, etc. And you can't always please your fans. And yeah. so, but I understand that sometimes it's shocking, you know, but I think, you know, for someone that may only know my first record and they would hear this, you know, I've definitely turned off some people. Yeah. And for some people, that's all they know. Yeah, and, exactly. And I'm sorry, but, <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> But I understand what you're saying. It's It can be jarring if that's what you know, but it's good to be challenged as a listener, I think, you know? Yeah, and, you know, to be open. If something isn't immediately what they want it to be, you know, they, right. sh they shut down. Yeah. Instead of, you know what, just pump the brakes for a second. Right. <laughs> take a breath. Yeah. And give over to it and just see what see where this takes you. But I also know that sometimes it's time and place and you'll hear it out of context, something that you didn't think you liked before and you can hear it at a restaurant or a bar or wherever and then all of a sudden it speaks to you in a different way. Yeah. And then also there's people that only like folk music and if you only like folk music, you probably won't like this record. So I, I'm okay with that too. And this is the closing song. It's cut 10. It's called Stay. Yeah. It started as a love song to my partner, but I, I finished the lyrics while I was pregnant. Yeah. You know, and it's another one of those songs that just kind of unfolded as you're admitting your fears and your excitement and your hopes and all that nitty gritty stuff. Well, having a kid, it just, how did it reconfigure you? I mean, I think I can sum it up in the in the struggle that I have with about to leave for tour because... Sorry, try not to cry here. I want him to grow up and see me, like, working and doing the things that I want to do. Yeah. But I'm scared to leave. Yeah. He'll be two in March, and he'll be joining me on some of it, but 
You know, I started school in the fall, and he started daycare when I started school, uh-huh. and he loves it so much. And so originally, I thought he was going to come with me the whole time, yeah. and I just decided it, that was more of a selfish thought. And so now that I see him with his friends, he has friends are holding hands and stuff, you yeah. know, like he's just thriving in there. So my partner and I decided that they'll just come visit. Yeah. It's, it is so hard to, to let go, but you get so much when you do. It's all about letting go, right? Yeah, all of it. Um. I think one of us ends up crying every time we talk. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Sorry I, about that. <laughs> I have never cried more in my life than I have since, since having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know, maybe it's partly the exhaustion <laughs> all the time, but... You know, like, we'll, we'll turn on a movie or see a commercial for, like, acid indigestion or something, you know, <laughs> and that's enough to... <laughs> suddenly it becomes a metaphor for how li- how beautiful and mysterious life is, you know. Oh, I mean, I have friends that are starting to have kids, like, because I was the first one in my circle. Yeah. And, you know, before I had a kid, I didn't really understand, but then I see the photo of the mom with the kid and the dad by their side, and they just... I know that vulnerability now more than ever, and my heart just goes out to to all new parents right now. <laughs> well, I, I thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, well, thank you so much. I won't take any of no, your No, thank time, you, and uh, love to your family. All right, bye. bye, Robin. The singer Sharon Van Etten talking about her incredible new record, Remind Me Tomorrow. It's out now on Jag Jaguar. For NPR Music and All Songs Considered, I'm Robin Hilton.